welcome to the 53rd episode of the Galactic Dads podcast. Today we're going to check out the trailer for the Justice League Snyder Cut that was released on Valentine's Day. And we'll also be doing a deep dive on episode 6 of WandaVision. So, hang out, stick around, and we'll get this party started. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? The Galactic Dads Podcast, a podcast by Geeky Dads, talking about all things geek, dad life, I am the father, and beyond. Language. All right, everybody, welcome to the Galactic Dads Podcast. I am your host, B, and of course, I am not alone today, but today we will definitely be checking out the sixth episode of WandaVision, uh, plus we're going to take a quick look at the Snyder Cut trailer that was released officially on Valentine's Day. But before we get too far into it, I want to let you guys know who I am hanging out with. Of course, I am joined today by Laser Eric. What's going on, my man? Good evening. How are we doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, for those playing the home game, we are joined via Skype today. So uh, there might be a small delay sometimes, but we'll see if we can edit those out. Yeah, when you got a foot of snow, you do what you got to do, right? Yeah, I'm getting real personally offended by the snow. I know I'm the only man uh, who's upset by it in the entire world right now. So we'll just let it I'll go. I'll tell you that. what, my wife, my wife's getting real offended by having the kids at home every day. Ooh, man. It's been what this has been going on for like a week now because it snowed the first time oh, yeah. last week, uh, and then it just kind of kept going, kept going. Yeah, it's real and offensive. It's continuing. Yeah. Oh man, if I'm stuck in the house again tomorrow, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Oh, you know what? I'll probably edit the show so we can get published. Uh, but you, you know what? Let us not be rude. Of course, we are joined by uh, somebody who's not feeling the snow pain. We're joined by Steve again from last week, uh, who we will from now on refer to as Florida Man. How you doing, Florida Man? Doing well. Doing. I was going to say, I don't know what all the snow you guys are talking about. Um, I think I spilled some ice uh, in my drink the other day, but I think that's, uh, that's the extent of it. Yeah. Okay. Rub it in buddy <laughs> most of the country already doesn't like you anyway florida mm. but you got it hey, oh, I, I heard it i heard you guys got some frost uh, a couple weeks ago did you were you able to dig your coat up from when you lived up here <laughs> my god Thought, thoughts and prayers <laughs> it's been a rough winter down here <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure oh <laughs> uh, you know what i forgot to do the intro so let's go ahead and do that real quick so welcome to the galactic dads podcast we are your dad destination for all things geek dad life and beyond and of course that includes bits of dad advice for your dad life comics video games tv shows movies and whatever else strikes us is worthy to talk about and of course today that will be the latest episode of wandavision and the uh snyder cut trailer I'm glad you guys can join us where we did our roundtable hello. And normally I would go ahead and plug the socials, but there's so many and we don't have time. Uh, so just check out the description uh, wherever you are listening to this wonderful podcast at, uh, and you can get all of our socials there. Uh, also, while you're checking that out, why don't you go ahead and rate us on whatever platform you've got. Of course, that can be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. I mean, 
even Amazon and their uh, podcasting platform has us. We're everywhere, baby. The Galactic Dads get around, don't we, gentlemen? Absolutely. <laughs> like in a good way, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> like a record. Like, like a record. Mm-hmm. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you can definitely uh, also check us out on the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Galactic Dads. Uh, there you have access to some really sweet swag, really cool merchandise. Um, actually, a lot of us are wearing them as we speak. We got the new Galactic Dads hats, uh, which, by the way, are on the highest level pledge tier. That is limited to only 10 patrons. Only 10 patrons will have the golden opportunity to get their hands on this coveted black hat. And also you get access to a bunch of other sweet content that we put up, including a nice Valentine's Day shout out that all of our Patreons got uh, last week. So definitely go check that out. But with all that pushed aside, let's get to the real serious stuff, okay? And that's going to be what we're drinking this week. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because if ever I've been through a week where we need to just go ahead and crack a cold one, it is this week. I will start us off real easy because I'm just sipping the good old-fashioned Budweiser. It uh, won't fill me up, but never lets me down. And that's the slogan for not Budweiser, but Bud Light, I think. Back in the day. Yeah, I think it is for Bud Light from, yeah, like 15 years ago or something like that. I think they did that for a little while. Mm-hmm. That's why I was most impressionable on TV, so it's fine. <laughs> That'll do it. Eric, what are you drinking this evening, sir? So I've got the, from Left Hand Brewing Company, uh, out of Longmont, Colorado. God, I've been drinking the Colorado beers lately. It's the Bittersweet Nitro Imperial Coffee Milk Stout. Uh, super smooth next level milk style with a robust coffee infusion at 8.9% alcohol. So, but I'm sitting in my kitchen, so I don't care. It's delicious. And uh, I think it'll uh, keep me warm, which is really what it's there for. Half the battle this evening, for sure. For mm-hmm. sure. Uh, yes. Florida man, I know you're not struggling to stay warm, but what are you drinking this evening? Yeah. So I am completely unprepared and I'm just drinking a Guinness, which is the only thing I had on, on tap right now. A, no, no judgment. Guinness pours nicely. Uh, it does. it's no 8.9% beer though. That's for sure. One of us is filling <laughs> Jedi John's shoes this evening. Anyway, somebody has to, right? Yeah, let's give a, a shout-out to our, our comrades in arms who are not here this evening. Of course, Jedi John, we've already mentioned, uh, but Production Matt cannot be with us this evening either. Um, really, through no fault of his own, uh, it's my fault. This was really last minute, <laughs> and uh, I don't think everybody got the link, um, which not everyone checks their emails religiously as you guys do. Uh, so here we are. Here we are, and we are also missing uh, our buddy Justin. Uh, who mm-hmm. would love to be on the show, especially since we're going to briefly talk about the Snyder Cut trailer. Um, however, I'm sure he'll be with us when we finally watch that four-hour movie. So here's yeah. to you, gentlemen. We we miss you. Here's a sip on your behalf. Cheers, guys. We love you. Cheers. Ah, cheers. All right. Let's get to the meat and potatoes. Because WandaVision, I've got so much to talk about. Uh Florida man and I have been discussing it kind of off and on all week ever since it came out mm-hmm. on Friday. Uh, let's just go ahead and talk about the Snyder Cut trailer that finally dropped. Um, just first impressions. I will let uh, I'll let Eric go first. What do you? What were your your thoughts? 
So I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not that big of a fan of really any of the DC movies. Um, so I walked into it with reserved expectations. Uh, what I saw, I, I thought looked pretty good. I thought it looked, um, looked decently dark. It's funny because B, you make jokes about the red sky in all the DC movies. And there was definitely quite a bit of red sky in that trailer, which I got a bit of a chuckle out of. Um, it, but, uh, it's hard no, to I miss I, that. Yeah. Right. I, uh, I thought it looked pretty good. I'm, I'm interested. I gotta be honest. That four hour thing is just, I, I that's gonna, I mean, that's gonna take me two weeks. I'm not going to joke about it. Um, but, um, after watching it actually last night, I, I, felt a little inspired to get back into some of the source material. And I watched suicide squad for the second or third time last night, just to kind of reacclimate myself a little bit with that world. Plus, you know, with all the talk of Jared Leto's Joker, um, going back and watching suicide squad again, I actually like Jared Leto's Joker more, uh, after, you know, after seeing this, the Snyder cut trailer, what limited amount there was there, and then watching Suicide Squad again, I kind of saw, okay, maybe they can make something out of this where it's not ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I so. I agree with you um, that it was nice to see Jared Leto's Joker, but kind of in a hopeful vein, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, hope right. that it's, it's not as cartoonish, uh, but... <laughs> I think that Joker, we, we're only really seeing that Joker, I think, through the lens of like this nightmare uh, world where I think Darkseid mm-hmm. has won. And that's just me guessing um, from what we're seeing in this footage so far. I don't think Batman's kind of working with him to form a league or anything. I think that's more of kind of a resistance right. uh, type, of, type of scene. I don't know. I, I was hopeful, though. Um, it looked like... Uh, even through the apocalypse, Joker has time to pawn his lipstick, uh, which is cool, I guess. I mean, maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Joker venom. I don't know. It's it's ridiculous. Um, but before I dive in on any other of my thoughts uh, for the movie, uh, I, w- I would love to hear Florida Man's thoughts. Uh, yeah, I uh, I agree with everything Eric just said. I think it's interesting that... Uh, you know, we know that the Joker, Jared Leto's Joker, was cut up um, in David Ayer's Suicide Squad. We know there was more to it. We know that that film was a victim of studio interference. Um, yeah. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see him get another stab at that role. Um, no no murder pun intended. I think that uh, it's, you know, I, I guess what's interesting to me about the I'm looking forward to it. I'm somebody who actually kind of enjoyed Justice League for what it was. Um, But it was very obvious. You could see where the scenes were. You could see where the Snyder and the Whedon scenes kind of where it all blended together and didn't blend well. Um, You know, I I think I'm excited because, A, I think Snyder is love him or hate him. He's got a he had a vision and he had a certain style. And I think any creative deserves to be able to finish their story to tell their story obviously because he left uh under pretty dark circumstances um with with, with the death of his daughter and you're, you know that's some that wasn't even like he was kicked off the film it was like a very tragic thing that man forced him to leave and i think um 
anybody gets to deserve to tell their story, whether you like it or not. What I can't get over, I guess, this trailer for me is it, Jordan Bode Roberts, the guy who did Kong a few years ago, and he's doing the Metal Gear Solid movie. Uh, he had this great Twitter thread, which kind of sums up everything I was thinking about, which is that this has never really been done before. You know, that this, um, that all Hollywood tentpole films are like a rush to the finish line. And sometimes uh, obvious fixes can't be done because of time or money, the fog of war, um, you're not thinking straight, you know, you're kind of in the weeds. This is the first time where somebody gets to go in four years later and they get a new budget to do reshoots, to reshape, to do all this kind of stuff. They get to make whatever rating they want on it, basically, um, because it's going to HBO. And we already have the this film's not as concerned with, um, you know, making uh, as much money as possible. And then, um, you know, you have 2020 vision. This is the first time and in, in, I can think of in history where a director gets to revisit a film and gets to reshape it based on critical fan feedback. Basically, Snyder gets to take this film that he made partially listen to the audience reaction to what Whedon did and then go back and tool around with it and get four hours worth of material out of it. Right. That's crazy. That's crazy. And I think, you know, we, we talk about Blade Runner, we talk about Alien 3, and we talk about um, Brazil, and we talk about these great pictures where you have these director's cuts that radically change the film. You know, very, like Blade Runner, for instance, I don't think anybody ever thinks of the original film anymore. It's, it's the director's cut, the final cut. Um, it's going to be interesting seeing this trailer. I can't help but wonder, is this four hour film going to be what we think of in 10 years as the definitive justice league? Is this going to be like a one-off that was weird or is this going to be, that's what justice league is. I certainly hope it is more of a, that's what justice league is. Um, I don't know. It's really interesting to me that at the moment, Warner has no plans to continue this, the Snyderverse, if you will. That's a story that came out this week. Uh, but there were also, a couple of years ago, never any plans to release a Snyder Cut. And look, here we are now. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. the, the thing that truly determines whether or not this will be something that is ongoing is the fan reaction. You know, how, what kind of viewership do they get on HBO Max with this? Um, in my opinion at first it's going to be rather large um obviously because like steve said i'm sorry florida man nobody's ever done this before (laughs) um and also there's already a rabid fan base for this movie um i mean look at everything that the release in snyder cut group uh for lack of a better term has accomplished i know we've talked about before but they they had an ad in Times Square, which they used proceeds and stuff from for charity. I mean, like, this is nothing but a goodwill group of fans done right, if you will. Uh, and, and this is kind of them being rewarded or led to the promised land, uh, so to speak, getting exactly what they want for being a fandom that behaved very well. I think that has some kind of a large part to do with why this movie actually happened. Um yeah, but as far and this, oh yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. In this um, situation too, I mean, this might be the first real, true example of a fandom being able to get something like this to happen. And if it goes off well, it's going to. Th- this is something that has the potential to shape 
movie making pretty significantly because mm-hmm. if this works out for the positive for the DC universe and, and for all parties involved, it's going to happen again. Oh, I for mean, sure. At, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about, you know, we, the fan reaction, but the fan reaction, you know, is one thing, but the money is going to be it. And, it, you know, they're going to figure out if, if this delivers and it delivers well, um, there's going to be a return on investment there. And, you know, for one thing, Zack Snyder is going to be able to write his own checks for a while. Um, again, you know, for yeah. another thing, yeah, no doubt, but you're also going to see, you know, you're going to see this kind of thing happen again and in other franchises and also, you know, in DC, uh, things like that, which, you know, if it goes the other way, then you're never going to see this again. And, and your, you know, fan reaction is just going to be what it is. If, if this fails, you're not going to see anybody else do an undertaking like this again. So there's a lot right. There is a lot. I I agree. And I think this kind of ties into what you and I were talking about last week in branding, which is, you know, this is the kind of thing that never would have happened 10 years ago, never in a million years. You know, we talk about, we were talking last week about uh, geek culture and comic book culture and how that's been rewarded and how we have these really outlandish properties that are being adapted. Take out the streaming aspect of things. 10 years ago, no studio would have ever dreamed of saying, okay, well, you know, there's a really passionate fan base and this movie didn't do all that great, but we're going to go back and give the director several million dollars more to finish his vision to make the fans happy. This is a testament, I think, to, like Eric said, where movies could be going and, and how this could change movie making. It's also a testament to how much power and how much respect, I think, in a lot of ways, the comic book crowd has garnered. You know, I mean, they know this crowd will follow with the dollars. They know that making this crowd happy pays off. Um, and, and I think this is a, an incredible testament to something that is unfathomable just a few years ago. Yeah, along those lines, as far as comic book audiences go, even movies that are considered tremendous flops uh, still perform relatively well on your opening weekend. The fans mm. do show up, uh, but they're also a very vocal fan base. So once they show up, you, you've got to be ready. And I think a perfect example of that is probably Batman vs Superman. Mm. I mean, it was... It was a movie I was super hyped to see myself. And then when I saw it, I was like, no, that was good. And then I saw it a second time. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. And that, um, <laughs> by the way, I know we're kind of dancing around the subject, but diving into the trailer itself, there's a lot of really cool looking stuff. And that mm-hmm. is what concerns me about this trailer and why I'm not going to get my hopes up. Because in every Zack Snyder movie, the trailer always looks amazing the guy should direct music videos and he did yeah exactly right that was ever gonna start yeah Yeah. so that's clear because he can give you two to three minutes of just pure ecstasy visually audially i mean you know you're you're just gonna love a trailer from him how can you not even the trailer for sucker punch looks awesome (laughs) yeah i mean what's i mean what is it um What's the owl movie, the animated movie he did? Legends oh, of the Guardians. Uh, 
<laughs> Owls of Bagul or something. Real title. He directed it. <laughs> Super cool looking. All right. But that doesn't mean that the finished product delivers. Case in point, Batman vs. Superman. There was a lot going on there. That you're like, why is this happening? Um, and that's a movie that I think really suffered from the uh, more is definitely not more kind of thing. Uh, and that's why I'm scared for this film. Will I watch it? You betcha. Am I afraid that they're doing too much in it? Yeah, probably. But it will be... I'm going to watch it, and I hope that seeing the full vision, uh, <laughs> you know what we're talking about later, uh, but seeing <laughs> Zack Snyder's full vision on this might really do it justice. Wow, I can't help it. Um, and and see that this vision, though, it was kind of chopped and you know just put together macaroni art style uh, to satisfy the studios when Whedon came in. Um, I'd, I'd like to see this full vision laid out and, and see Darkseid win and then the heroes find a way to come back and undo uh, what goes on there, which clearly is what happens if you watch the trailer. There's definitely a, a whole scene where Darkseid wins and then we get Black Suit Superman, which, by the way, huge bonus, looking awesome. It doesn't, yes. look, like, doesn't look like it's a digital stash, so that's even better. <laughs> Well, here's the question, though, for you guys is that, well, first off, I still think I would argue that Zack Snyder always just wanted to make an injustice movie, Injustice Gods Among Us. I think mm-hmm. that's his his take on Superman and everything. I think that's where he always wanted yeah. to go. But leapfrogging off that, what do you guys think? You know, so obviously DC has had a little bit of a pivot since the Snyder years. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Aquaman, we had Shazam. Uh, Birds of Prey, even and uh, Wonder Woman eighty four. I think all four of those films are in a different tone. Oh, for do sure. Do you think? Let's say this film takes off. Do you think DC continues down this path they're going, where they're kind of starting to skew a little more Marvel, or do you think they say, you know what, maybe we had something we just didn't apply ourselves, and they go back towards the grim dark? Honestly, I hope that they stay the course of what they're doing currently. I hope that this is something I don't want to call it a one-off, but I'm going to call it a one-off. I hope that they do this and say, Hey, this worked really good. This was cool. This is, you know, this is Zack Snyder's vision, but from an approachability standpoint, no matter what you thought of wonder woman 84, uh, it was flashy as heck. And it was, you know, it was fun to watch for the most part. There were, there were parts of it that, were absurd you know let's just go with that but um you know in general i i think that making the making the movies a little bit more approachable is going to serve the studio and serve the properties better in my opinion um you know we've got the new suicide squad coming out and and all the other stuff it's all kind of leaning in the direction of a little bit more approachability a little bit more like marvel um, don't necessarily want to say they're trying to copy, but I think they're trying to bring it more toward the center as opposed to, you know, cause I mean, dude, I don't like horror movies and if something looks like a horror movie, I'm not going to watch it. You know, you mean, I mean like, that's like the, the first suicide squad definitely looked like a horror movie. <laughs> well, in the last scene. <laughs> the, a lot last of third act was a horror movie. <laughs> you know what? Um, just to stay on topic, what Eric said about, it depends on what happens with James Gunn, 
the Suicide Squad. I think that will tell um, really the direction moving forward. Uh, even if the Snyder Cut performs really well, which it very well could, and honestly, I hope it does, because uh, I know there's a lot of love and work that went into that. Um, I think it really is going to tell on what happens with the Suicide Squad when it comes out, because obviously this is a much more cartoonish take. Uh, they've got yeah. like the crazy quilt and Mongol and uh, the weasel. I mean, like these <laughs> insane characters who are just purely based in more of an animated cartoon style are live action, right? And Harley Quinn's doing her Harley Quinn thing. Um, even more so with the success that she's had as a character for DC. So, you know, they're just really letting her off the leash. Um, and, and seeing that that movie will definitely go a fun route, especially with James Gunn behind it. I mean, look what we got with guardians of the galaxy volume one and two, um, by, exactly. by rights, that property should not have worked. If you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said, here's Marvel's first flop. And yet it became one of the steering forces of the cosmic side of Marvel. I don't know that we get as much Thanos without the Guardians of the Galaxy. So it's very cool. I hope that that works out well. Um, but even if they're both hyper successful, I still think we get back to dark because DC has done something that I think was smart and it was dip their toes into the multiverse without ex like saying it. Uh, case in point, the Joker film with Joaquin Phoenix. Todd Phillips did a great job, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. Performed over a billion dollars at the box office and took home a bunch of awards, not to mention Best Actor. And did, did that pull off? Did he pull off Best Director for that? Did Todd Phillips do that for the Oscars? I don't believe so, but... It was a nomination, but he didn't win it. There, okay, that makes sense. I think. Yeah, but I mean, it was a darling for, for the awards season. Yeah. Um, and definitely, it was critically received well and, of course, popular. <laughs> so you know that that movie worked out. And the fan reaction from DC Fandom when they dropped Matt Reeves' The Batman trailer. Not a single part of that movie looks funny or lighthearted. <laughs> Right. Or, I mean, for God's sakes, it's Rob Pattinson looking much more broody and gloomy than he ever could have in Twilight. Uh, I mean, he's got <laughs> full-blown eye makeup in this one. It is awesome and dark. Um, and I think DC goes that way, too. So I think we can get both the light and the super dark. I mean, they're essentially making a superhero version of Seven, if you watch that trailer. Right. Um, so, so that brings... That brings up a good point because, you know, DC is, if they do skew more toward the dark, I, the question that popped into my head while you were talking is why not both? And you, the reason I'm thinking that is, so we've all got kids. Um, Logan loves Batman, loves Batman. Um, I'm not necessarily going to, let him watch the Robert Pattinson one right away until I determine that it's not, you know, a snuff film or something, but fingers crossed. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. If Jason but, uh, Todd shows up, you know what's happening Right from a, from a studio standpoint, from a producer standpoint, the producer's job is to make money and what it's going to come down to. I think they're going to have their dark movies 
And I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with that because I think that could be a lot, you know, a lot of fun for me to watch. But I think we, you know, what we might see here is we might see, I don't want to call it a departure or a split, but I think we might see some more of these properties take the lighthearted route, especially if the suicide squad takes off, you know, if it does well with the, with the over the top, ridiculous cartoony comic booky characters and stuff like that. Um, what's to say they don't make other movies and use other properties in that range and, and still keep their dark side to a degree, uh, no pun intended, but, Mm -hmm. um, because they're going to have to find a way to wrangle in the kids because that's where they're going to make their long money. You know, that that's where the long game is, 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 you know, having the, the kids that, want to be Batman for Halloween, want to have the Batman action figures, want to have the, you know, the Wonder Woman action figures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we've seen some of that deviation already. Um, so I don't think they go full dark for that reason, but why not both? I think that that well, is the plan. Both is the route to go because you keep the merchandising, you keep the current animated projects alive and well. Um, although at the moment I can't name any. Uh, that DC's got going on. I think the DC superhero girls uh, might really be the only one because I can't say Harley Quinn on DC Universe because that show is adult, uh, but it is fantastic. <laughs> I can't believe I I had not started watching that, and just because I saw it on HBO Max, I gave it a go, and I like got the whole season out of the way same day because it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just hilarious. Uh, with the by the way, Lex Luthor in that TV show, Harley Quinn is voiced by none other than Giancarlo Esposito. Gus. Yeah. Yeah. Moff Gideon himself is Lex Luthor. Fantastic. As soon as he started talking, I said, yep, that's my Lex. Oh, you betcha. So anyway, anyway, side note. Yeah. I was going to say side note. I saw somebody uh, recommend him for a professor X today on Reddit. Oh my God. And the word, the more I don't, you know what the more I thought about it, the more I, I kind of would like to see that take a little bit. But I, I, just to back up real quick, is or just maybe one last thing before we move on. Um, what Eric just said is, I think uh, you know I agree with both you guys. I think the DC connected universe just hasn't worked. I think you know this is not a controversial opinion here. Is that they chased Marvel and they tried to leapfrog all the steps that Marvel took. Um, so you know they went from. Superman to Batman versus Superman to Justice League. They tried to jump several steps ahead. And this connective tissue just never really worked. Um, Marvel has an in-house style. And that has sometimes rubbed directors the wrong way, like Edgar Wright. Uh, you know, but they have a, a certain tone and a style. And sometimes they give some of the directors a little leeway. But there's a there's an in, in-house style. DC has embraced the opposite. They've let Todd Phillips make a uh, uh, um, taxi driver with Joker. They've let, you know, Birds of Prey was a very different film than Shazam, which is a very different film than Batman vs. Superman and, and all this kind of stuff. I think, to your guys' point, they should be doing the opposite thing or doing both, you know, balancing both. <clears throat> and I think by balancing both, they can attract auteur directors who maybe never want to get locked in to doing three films or getting locked into these somebody like 
Martin Scorsese or Tarantino or somebody like this who would be like, no, go to hell. I'm not going to follow DC's plan to do what I want to tell my own story on Batman. And I think DC could really leverage that and let people kind of do their own thing. And, um, and, and, and like you said, have your cake and eat it too. I think they could have the connected tissue on one side of the family friendly stuff and then give the other Batman's a dark comic. You know, there's a lot of DC that is dark. Green Lantern got dark of all things at times. Give that to oh, yeah. Give that give that to the people who want to just do their own thing and and maybe make one-offs and not get locked in contractually. And I think you can make a really really cool balance out of that um, and, and make some really award-winning pictures. All they you can also make a long-standing property too because it, it, you know, think about it. When we were kids. Batman came out and you know, the Batman movies were, were mixed in their style. They were mixed in their, their quality uh, and everything there, but we all watched them all. You, you get in a situation where you've got the, the lighthearted stuff and, and the kid friendly stuff. You rope the kids in with what they have, but then you have the more mature themed stuff too, where if, you know, if my boys like the lighthearted DC stuff, then a few years down the road when they're older and say, Hey, you really like this. What about, you know, what about watching Bat? What about watching, you know, the Batman? What about watching this? And then they get to see that. And then not only do you have, you, you don't have fans that outgrow your stuff. You've got mm-hmm. fans that outgrow some of it, but find other stuff that makes them happy and they keep watching and they keep paying attention. And, and that's where the staying power comes in. I don't know if I agree with that or disagree with that simply for the fact of Star Wars. Sure. Well, I get that. I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. Um, but Star Wars, you know, that's Disney and them also being smart. They said, we're going to break this into different parts of the universes. We'll give you a Rogue One. Uh, we'll give you the Force Awakens and a Solo. And then we'll give you a Last Jedi. <laughs> and then we're going to go ahead <laughs> and we're going to give you a Rise of Skywalker. Uh, and then after all that, they go, you know what, let, let's let John Favreau have a crack at this. And then everybody gets super happy for a while. Um, so we'll see where that continues to go. Uh, but I, I think a lot of these things are properties like I know we keep saying Batman, but Batman is that property. He, no matter what, every at least once a generation comes up with a new, a new film, which either becomes a trilogy or uh, just for some reason won't go away. Uh, that's mm-hmm. looking at you, Schumacher. Uh, <laughs> Batman Forever, Batman Robin. But um, And in some respects, there are people who cannot stand Batflick, and it seems like he just won't go away. The movie that came out four years ago should have been the last, and now he's about to be front center again because, let's face it, Zack Snyder wanted to make a Batman movie more than anything else if it wasn't going to be the Injustice movie, Steve, uh, Florida Man mentioned um but yeah i don't i think no matter what people will show up to these movies there's something about the characters the properties that just inherently will always have an audience uh case in point when i was little nobody really made me watch uh anything comic related it was on and it instantly had my attention um i'm talking even that weird obscure x-men cartoon 
um, where Kitty Pride comes to the mansion for the first time. It's like a one episode thing. Wolverine's Australian for some ungodly reason. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, <laughs> I watched that religiously uh, from the video store nonstop. And uh, then the animated series came out, and even though it was incredibly melodramatic and overvoice acted like you wouldn't believe, I still watched that <laughs> like it was my religion. And then Batman the Animated Series came out. I knew what good cartoons were uh, all the way till today, and nobody ever showed me, hey, you should check this out. It's just stuff that I normally gravitated to. Uh, and I think that will always happen. But I do think it, it really helps if it is something you can take your kids to, uh, to your point. Eric, uh, but that is definitely not this. I'm pretty sure the Snyder Cut is it. It's got the oh. R rating. I mean, this it is yeah. not. Uh, Night, Nightmare Batman's rocking a trench coat and an AK, um, which, by the way, is really cool. Uh, but just definitely not something you're right for your kids to go see, right? There was leaked footage of uh, Steppenwolf tearing through Amazonians. Oh. One of the the uh, VFX guys put it up on Twitter. And Steppenwolf is just tearing Amazonians in in two. And this this looks like it's going to be a very brutal film. And this <laughs> this is not the Ivan Ooze Mighty Morphin Power Rangers villain, uh, Steppenwolf. No. It, it is essentially Doomsday <laughs> in goth coats, uh, just tearing through people. And I did see that same leaked footage. And it was imagine you know the scene where Hulk takes Loki and smacks him around and calls him a puny god. <laughs> <laughs> imagine it's that scene but with a hulking figure just throwing females around brutally uh for a while <laughs> i was gonna say water balloons but yeah that works too <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a very visceral uh kind of footage yeah. which i feel bad for saying this but man i can't wait i yeah. cannot wait to see the minions of apocalypse unleashed on earth uh on film obviously not in real life um, <laughs> overall, I am also kind of excited to see, it looks like we're going to see more of Ray Fisher's cyborg, um, and how he came to be cyborg instead of just showing up in the movie and he's hanging out in the, the apartment with his dad already created. Uh, I kind of want to see a little right. more of him. Um, what I don't want to see is too much of Barry Allen's parents. Uh, even though I think we're going to get a lot of, a lot at four hours. I think we're going to get a lot of background on all of these characters. Um, but I'm almost as tired of seeing Barry Allen's mom die as I am of watching Bruce Wayne's parents eat a bullet. I, I just see it all the time. I don't think we need to see it again. And I think we will, uh, unfortunately, but you know, it is what it is. And, uh, I'm most looking forward to Martian Manhunter. If I'm being honest, which is noticeably absent from this trailer. So I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> but for the sake of time, let's go ahead and move along uh, with just one quick. Um, after seeing the trailer, yay or nay? And we will start with Eric. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll give it a go. Florida man. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And for me, it is a resounding Yay. Yeah. I uh, can't wait to see Dark Side is. And that's all we'll say about that. Let's move it on, gentlemen. Uh, with that, we are going to dive into the. Well, I don't think we'll dive into it. Let's just say we'll expand this episode <laughs> to encompass a lot more of WandaVision, uh, especially since episode six 
dropped and it again was full of lots of awesome goodness. Um, so much so that I, I just, every time I see her on screen now, Agnes fascinates me. Somebody else fascinated mm, yes. by Agnes even more every episode. Yes. I want to know more about her. Like every time she shows up, it's like, okay, what are what are you doing now? And I'm not as familiar with with the backstory of Agatha Harkness, which I think we're assuming it, it is Agnes. Uh, I'm not as familiar with the backstory there, but I'm still even not knowing everything. Every time I see her on camera, it's like it, just like Vision asked in this episode, "How'd you get here? Like, yeah. where'd you come from?" I need more. Let's just jump right into that. In that scene, uh, it's the Halloween episode, which they put everybody in comic book accurate costumes. Even, oh, I loved even Billy and Tommy, which I loved. As soon as I saw him dressed up as Wiccan, I was like, "Oh, they're doing it! They're even doing the kids! This is amazing!" Um, but uh, for some reason. It's stated that nobody goes past Ellis Street, so you assume that is, you know, the extent of Wanda's kind of control, right? That's where the hex stops. And somehow, when Vision goes out there, Agnes is parked in a car facing that direction, just hanging out. And through conversation, I think, encourages Vision to go outside the hex. Did you guys have any thought on... uh, Agnes was there on purpose to try and get Vision out. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think there's a very strong argument for it. I, I just can't get over the fact that I mean, I, I always kind of liked Catherine Hahn as an actress, but what she's doing here is so interesting. Where she can, she's she's like this, uh, uh, this multi-dimensional character. And I think you can look at her and say, oh, she's trying to get Vision out. Oh, she's part of, uh, she's entrapped in this too, just like everybody else. Oh, she's Mephisto. Oh, she's Agnes Harkness. She, she can be everything and everyone all at once. And so I feel like any, any theory about her, Agatha, just makes sense. It is, it, it's such a testament to, I think, um, the writing, but the acting as well. Oh, my God. You're right. Uh, she is such a good actress, but every time I see her, I'm just waiting for her to run up to the urinal uh, <laughs> and lift a leg. <laughs> I just, I am, I can't, I will never be able to see that actress and get that specific scene from Step Brothers. By the way, or yeah. movie quote of the evening, Step Brothers. Um, <laughs> is it? True? I think this it's, is her most. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just incredible to see her. She has range. And I think up until this point, even in movies like Bad Moms and stuff, um, it, it's just it's good to see her not only be like this this fleshed out character, um, which I say lightly because we don't really know much about her, but you feel like you do because you you know as soon as she's on screen, you feel like you've spent time with her, mm-hmm. and then for her to go from comedic to dramatic just flawlessly you know whenever she snaps out of it or snaps back into it like you instantly like you just believe her and i think that is so well done um which is probably a great on the writer's parts but um for for her as an actress i think that's incredibly well done uh and i think that's one of those moments where you can say that tv tends to be better than the movie 
when it comes to those types of performances. And I think that's a good point where we're seeing it here on WandaVision, where even the supporting characters are just really nailing it. Also considering the way that the first handful of episodes went, you know, you started out with a 50s era sitcom and then kind of moved through the decades. You know, obviously, you know, it's no secret that the the style and everything in between those decades is, is much different. And to have actors who can portray the same character in different ways through these different stories, I think that speaks volumes. Now, my um, you know, my my resounding memory of of um, I'm sorry, I, you just said her name, but the the girl who plays Agnes, um, Catherine. Hunt. My resounding memory, yeah, thank you, Catherine Hunt. My resounding memory of her is from the movie The Goods. Oh um, yes, <laughs> like. And so every time she's on screen, you know, I'm taking her seriously, but I'm also thinking of that. And it's, it's kind of, you know, lighthearted if nothing else, but, uh, but no, I think the range that you're seeing out of a character like her, she's able to bring something to every decade and, and make it meaningful in some way and make it fit, which is refreshing. That's a great point. I think, um, You know, I think everybody, I just, I'm consistently amazed. I know we have so much to discuss here, but I'm consistently amazed at the level of acting that is coming out of this. Um, You know, I was thinking about uh, how this episode kicks off with Vision and Wanda. And these, Olsen and uh, uh, Bettany have incredible chemistry. You know, they've worked on it from, from Age of Ultron onwards. They have phenomenal chemistry. And this show has really, really, really drilled down on that and really highlighted that. And then last episode, we saw them, we, we saw the, the rift, we saw the tear. And then what do we see from the jump of this episode? We see this, it, it's like a broken relationship. You know, they were able, I, I'm fascinated by two people who were able to have such good chemistry and then be able to take that chemistry and move it into a couple going through uh, almost unreconcilable differences, you know, the, like the animosity that, between the two. Yeah, yeah. Vision comes down the stairs and he's wearing that outfit and he doesn't want to, but he knows he has no choice because that's the only outfit that she put in the closet, you know. And he, and yeah. she wants him to go take the kids trick or treat, and he goes, "Screw that! I'm going to make my own B story in this episode and go do the neighborhood watch." Like there's this there's just this tension that's so palpable. And I just, I can't knock it over. And it's a shame that I think it's going to get lost in this is because it's a genre show and it's a Marvel show. And, you know, there's all these different things that we're focused on is how good the acting is here across the board. It is, you know, to your point, it is excellent. Even, I mean, who is the character? Is it Phil Jones? Is that who, you know, initially breaks through and tells Vision about the pain and just how awful it is? Mm-hmm. And in that scene, like yeah. you, the acting there is is palpable. You you really feel for him. Um, it hurts. It hurts so much. Please make her stop. And then snapped right back into it, right? Um, to, you know, Florida Man, you were talking about how their chemistry is so good. And as soon as Vision comes down the steps, you feel like the the love is there, but there's this this distrust 
that is just mm-hmm. I mean, it's it is the elephant in the room uh and the way that that's approached is so good because it's not till just a little bit later when wanda sees their neighborhood watch party and says well why are you working so hard vision's doing the neighborhood watch and he goes nope not on duty today he's he's not here and then you you see it dawn on wanda that oh i'm not as in control of him as i thought but then she's so preoccupied with making the the time memorable for the kids that she kind of just lets vision be an afterthought right up until the end of the episode when uh he requires a lot of her <laughs> concentration well i think that's also why you see a lot of the neighborhood people just literally standing still is you you hit the nail on the head she was so busy concentrating number one on the kids and number two she had her brother which was her brother was also pushing her buttons and also trying her and she had these things it's it's like when you go to work and you've got a bunch of stuff on your mind you miss things throughout the day it's natural it's part of you know it's, it's part of being a human being and I think that's what you were seeing when Vision was going out to the outskirts and he went into that cul-de-sac and everybody's just kind of standing there stock still and not actually doing anything. I think that's what you had is she was preoccupied to a point she couldn't keep the simulation moving in every place. And then she kind of got snapped back into, you know, the with the events of the, I guess, the end of the episode, you saw her kind of get snapped back into, wait a minute, like I need, I need control, uh, is what you had. But I, I really feel like that's what, what you were experiencing there. She took her eye off the ball and that's what happened. You know, I'm interested with her taking her eye off the ball. When she really puts her eye back on the ball, it's right after she just smokes her brother out of her way. As yeah. soon as she can stop mm-hmm. focusing on him, then she's really powerful again. Um, even so that she's powerful enough to expand the hex uh, to a, a, a ginormous degree. Um, and that makes you wonder how much effort and time and thought she is putting on her brother, uh, which I would love to just use that as a wonderful transition because uh, we haven't really talked about him yet. But at the end of episode five, we meet her brother. He's recast and it's Evan Peters, right? Mm-hmm. This episode, he is in it the entire time. He's almost like the um, bad example uncle, right? The mischievous uncle (laughs) that it's cool for your kids to play with because you kind of trust him, but you know he's going to give them terrible ideas. And you're going to have to, while it'll be fun, you're going to have to deprogram the kids after hanging out with Uncle Pietro, right? (laughs) But a lot of the stuff he says and the questions he asks make you really wonder if it's actually her brother or is this somebody else completely? And I was wondering if you guys caught up or even caught a specific phrase he used when he was talking about the kids uh, that really piqued my interest. And the one, um, when vision says he's going to go neighborhood watch and he immediately uh, volunteers, he goes, yo, it's fine. I'll hang out with the little demon spawns. Yep. Uh, In the comic books, that is very notable because Wanda's kids are actually like created with pieces of 
Mephisto's soul. So they are mm-hmm. truly little demon spawns, if you will. Uh, so to <laughs> hear him say that, I don't think is an accident. Uh, it fits the narrative that I'm really pushing for, which is Mephisto's the bad guy. Uh, but it could also just be a nice nod and it, a great red herring. So we don't really know. But I was wondering what you guys' thoughts on who you think Pietro is and what you think he's doing. I think uh, if I could jump in, I, I think there is this. I think this episode made me think, okay, there's something more insidious going on. And there's two reasons why. One is um, he, and I, I know I talked to you through text about this, Brandon, but he, Pietro, when he's talking about his, his death, he says he remembers dying. Um, he says that he died for nothing. And we know that's not true. We know that he died protecting a kid. I don't think Pietro, we, which we didn't get a lot of time with him in Age of Ultron, but I don't think anybody who would willingly sacrifice themselves to protect a child would retrospectively look back at that and say, yeah, that was for nothing. That almost sounds like something that would be said by somebody who was removed and said, you knew that Pietro died didn't know how he died, didn't know that it was for a courageous reason. The other thing, and I don't know if you guys caught this, at the very beginning of the episode, Billy's talking to the camera. You know, they do this whole Malcolm in the middle. Which was thing. great, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, side note here, did they just skip the 90s completely? I think last week we talked about how oh, yeah. we went to the 80s and they had a credits roll and it was effectively the 90s when Pietro shows up. This was essentially 2000. I just looked it up. Malcolm in the Middle aired in 2000. Um, so it kind of feels like we skipped the 90s in that sense. Um, but anyway, so Billy's talking to the camera very early on about how his parents are fighting. If you watch it and you go back and watch this, Pietro looks at him. He's not listening to the other kid who's talking to him. He looks at Billy. He's hearing the fourth wall being broken. And after Billy says that, Pietro gets up right away and then tries to uh, engage with Wanda and, and Vision and, and fix things, alluding to the fact that he heard he's not part of this episode. He's outside of this, and he hears it just like we do. Um, I think those two things together made me go, okay, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this is not uh, the crossover, the mutant crossover that we were looking for. Yeah, I wonder about that too because I mean they could treat it a bunch of different ways. Obviously, um, you know, to to your point, I I didn't catch exactly that, but I did notice, you know, a few things with with the way Pietro was acting in that episode. Uh, one of the things that that stuck out is when Wanda's getting confused. He looks at her, he look or she looks at him and says, you know, hey, what what happened to your accent? He just looked at her and. <laughs> Cox's head, what happened to yours? And, uh, you know, just kind of like the way that, that he was picking at her and things like that through the episode leads me to believe, I don't think that he's really Petro. Um, I think that he's an image of, I think he's an image, but I think he's a, you know, quote unquote, imperfect image, uh, being created by, you know, if we're going to call it Mephisto or, or, you know, whatever, call it, you know, Wanda through trauma, just can't remember everything quite properly consistently. 
but I don't think that he's truly Pietro. Now, what I'm wondering is when this hex ends, because it's going to, um, you know, when when it goes away, is this going to be a situation where the opportunity is going to be there for Wanda to save the people that she cares the most about? Because you've now got Billy and Tommy, the, the twins, the demon spawn, if you will. Um, you've got Pietro. You've got Vision. You know, Pietro and Vision are both dead. You know, and they made a big thing about that in this episode, too. You know, Agnes is screaming, but you're dead! You're dead! Um, is Wanda going to have the chance before this hex is all over to bring them back, for lack of a better term? And and not bring them back in, in the image that she's seeing now, but bring them back in the real world. Is that going to be, you know, is that going to be part of this? Um, and, and that's something that I wonder, you know, like, you know, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but in the, in the end of the episode with, you know, vision getting out of the hacks and, and seeing what happens to him when he tries to get out, uh, is that, is that going to be something did, did Wanda expand the hex to protect him until she can figure out a way to keep him alive or did she do it to protect him because she knows she can't let him leave? I don't know. That's a really good question, but uh, I think about that and I think about just really what happened to vision when he left the hex. Um, He's okay for a minute. And then it seems like the hex is actively pulling him back in. Um, Exactly. But his willpower, it seems is strong enough for him to, to fight it and stay where he is. But the hex is taking pieces of him. It's almost like it's taking parts of itself back. And I think that characters like Monica Rambeau uh, are able to leave the hex if you initially exist outside it. And this is just my theory here working. Um, So characters like Vision and Billy and Tommy, and for this matter, perhaps even Pietro, uh, because it's still completely possible for him to have already been in Westview, and for Wanda to say, hey, you you were like the mailman. Now you're going to be my brother. And just kind of recast right. in that moment. Because it could have been put into her mind uh, when Agnes says, can you bring somebody back from the dead? Maybe not, but I can recast somebody who's here as the dead. So that could be mm-hmm. interesting. So maybe Pietro can leave, but when he does, he won't be Pietro anymore. He'd just be his normal self. As far as Billy and Tommy, judging from what happens to Vision when he leaves, I don't think they get to leave. Uh, and if they do, they certainly will be an interesting part of the story uh, because they're created by Wanda. There are no children in the Hex, right, up until this episode. Right. And even Pietro, episode, yeah. Yeah, even Pietro says, hey, I love the way that you've just kind of been hanging on to these kids. Like, where'd they come from? right right you know um just the things that pietro says to wanda points out if you're a lazy viewer you're not catching any of this if you're just kind of watching the show and taking it as it is um that's a shocking moment for you you go oh my Mm -hmm. oh my god five episodes in the only children we've seen are the twins and now kids are (laughs) everywhere and that's weird Right. Like, well, that brings up another question, too, is is Pietro part of the simulation, so to speak, or is Pietro 
in some way introduced by an outside factor to help break it. Because let's say, you know, let's say Mephisto is behind her going into this and creating the hex and everything. What's to say that Pietro is cast into this? You know, what's to say that he's not cast into this to try, you know, by somebody trying to keep Mephisto from building it? You know, just a thought. I think that that's a good thought. And it reminds me of the end of Avengers um, where I forget who says it. It might be Loki. It might be Thor. It's probably Thor. When he says that we have signaled the other realms that we are ready for a higher form of warfare, right? Once the rest of, of everybody sees how strong the Avengers were and the things they were able to repel, um, it, it got Thanos's attention, right? Much more so than, yeah. than just collecting the stone. Now he's really interested in earth, right? I can't help but feel that even if there's an outside villain, they may not have been part of the creation of the hex, but with the amount of power right. that that would take, somebody seeing that would obviously think to themselves, I got to check this out. You know, I've got to put somebody in there to get answers to this, which is why I feel we get people like Agnes asking Wanda questions. We get Pietro really asking some serious questions and evading Wanda's own questions for him. Like, do you remember the song our mother or whatever would sing to us in Sokovian? And he was like, oh, you're testing me, aren't you? Like, of course, he doesn't answer. He just immediately goes, oh, you're testing me. You don't believe me. And then flips the question on her uh, so mm-hmm. that right there could prove that it's not actually Pietro but it still could be like right. it's, it's a playful kind of response he has to everything but he's still asking serious questions where did these kids come from when did you start doing this how are you doing this do you even know and Wanda herself says I, I don't know how this started I just know that it is and it's right. very fascinating to me. I feel like people are asking her questions that if she was really in control of them, they would not be asking. Well, and is this the first time that we've seen the kids have superpowers? Yes, it is. Yes. Well, okay. That's what I thought. Hang on though, because the kids do age uh, in the yeah, fifth episode. But other than that, but I guess no. this was like clearly like Quicksilver powers and, and, and some uh, Wanda style powers. Wanda, you're yeah. right. Um, Wicked and speed. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, it, I, I, it's funny. I, I'm working through the MCU, um, just rewatching all this anyway while I'm doing this. And recently, not too long ago, I went through Age of Ultron. And there's this line from Ultron in there. He talks about how kids are the downfall of their parents. He says, children are designed to supplement them to help them end. And I keep thinking about how they're, I just, I don't trust these kids. <laughs> you know, we, we, I think last week we talked about Brandon. I talked about like uh, that there's, there's potentially Wanda is somebody who's uh, got a lot of trauma. And that, again, that could be the antagonist. We keep talking about Mephisto and we keep talking about could just be old fashioned grief. And that's enough, you know, that that's, I mean, <clears throat> somebody going through that much grief in her life, um, but which we yeah we haven't even talked about this week's commercial yet with the shark, 
Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, this show seems to be getting darker and darker. This episode felt right. dark. Um, and and it, every episode, you know, starts off this Leave of the Beaver, and it's, it's just skewing darker and darker and darker. And I, I do wonder if either of these kids are going to be the catalyst for Wanda losing it because she loses the children and she loses the things after losing all these other things. Or are these kids going to be much more insidious than we originally thought? I find it fascinating that you bring up just how much grief could actually be the villain of the show, right? Because it's easy for us all, especially if you're Marvel fans, right? You always want to find your villain. Who's your villain? Who's your villain? Well, in this particular show, and this is a new format for Marvel, right? And they approach it this very kind of avant-garde style. Uh, with the way that the first couple episodes have gone. What if the villain of the show is not an actual character, but like, you know, Steve said, it's grief. It's Wanda's uncontrolled grief finally slipping out with her trying to run from it again, one more time by creating a world for her to live in perfectly. And yet her grief still spills out of it because it is just that bad. Um, I forgot where I read it in a timeline, but apparently WandaVision starts three weeks after the events of Endgame. So mm-hmm. huh. That's not much time for Wanda to really handle anything. Um, well, if, but if you think about it... It's plenty of time I'm for sorry. denial, right? It's plenty of time yeah. for denial. But, yeah, then other stages begin. If you think about it too, like if you look back through all the episodes, the the stuff that really, I guess, affects her, you could say, all tend to be in some form of suffering. Like I, you know, I'm I'm brought back to the 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 lady at the the pool party. The, the glass shatters in her hand, and you see the blood, and it's in color. Um, then you you have the situation where Agnes finds the dog dead, and and the kids are sad. Um, she has the flash of vision with the mind stone ripped out of his head, you know, after Thanos kills him. Uh, then this last episode, she looks at Pietro and sees, oh, uh, yeah. you know, you, you see a bullet riddled Pietro, very clearly no color in his face, absolutely dead. And there continues to be these images of, suffering in some way you you know it starts out as as simple and as harmless as cutting your hand on a piece of broken glass every each of the three of us has done it everybody we know has probably had it happen to them but then you you know you have the experience of the loss of the pet for the kids which is is devastating in that world then you have vision then you have pietro and then you have everything that i've missed that i'm not remembering and you know i that Every time you see something like that, it it involves a loss of control or an adjustment of control. So I think Steve brought up a really good point here is this could very simply just be her, you know, coping mechanism, if you want to call it that, uh, her inability to accept the the things that have happened and her inability to accept the the horrible atrocities that she's experienced when she threw Geraldine, AKA Monica out of the simulation, it was right after she said, your brother was killed by Ultron, wasn't he? And that brought up a memory in her head and that 
for lack of a better term, ticked her off. And she launched Monica through the four walls and sent her back out to where she belonged. So, Steve, you could you could be right dead on in the head, you know, by saying that it's it's her own head that's creating all of this, and that could be the true villain of the at least of the first season. I mean, that would pretty much set it up nicely for a, you know, wand is a problem, you know, like we're halfway yeah. through this season and the director of sword acting director, whatever is Wanda's the problem. And she has to be dealt with, which of course um, we know that Monica is diligently working to undermine that, um, which by the way, let's talk about what her and agent Wu and Darcy are up to in this particular episode. Cause I think that's uh-huh. important too. Um, they point out, which I've been waiting for this ever since I saw Monica Rambo and Captain Marvel as a little girl. I said, ooh, that's Spectrum. Let's see her, because yeah. she was Captain Marvel 2 for a while, right? In the 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. And I love her character. and I love her character um, written by Al Ewing in The Ultimates, uh, <laughs> where she is kind of part of a team. She's super powerful, you know, of course. Um, but you know, I could go on forever about that. Let's just talk about her in the show. She's talking about going back inside the hex. Maka is to try and help Wanda, right? Because she's a human being. Uh, apparently nobody else is, but she <laughs> wants to go back in and Darcy immediately points out to her. You can't go back in. You don't know what will happen to you. You've been changed by being in there and coming back out. And she shows her the scans or whatever test. And Maka says, test or test, they don't mean anything, right? As soon as she said, you've been changed, I immediately got excited. And especially if she goes back in, I was like, ooh, is Maka going to get some powers? Please give her powers. I need that to happen. Um, But regardless, Maka says, I called a friend who can get me back in. Anybody have an idea of who that friend might be? Reed Richards. So yeah, that's the so that's the that's the chic answer. And honestly, I think that's who it's going to be. One more but, time, just in case so, we can't hear you, Reed Richards. Reed Richards. Sorry, yeah. It would actually it, but, <laughs> it would actually yeah. make more sense now, to me if it was Ben Grimm because he's the pilot, right? Mm, he could fly mm. you in, but of course so, you get okay. Ben, you get Reed. I've got another thought on this too, and it's it's a little bit of a deviation. But one of my coworkers, who's also a big fan of the MCU and all the you know all this, brought up an interesting idea too. I don't know how well it fits. Uh, I did a little bit of research, and I I didn't really find much. But uh, another very very intelligent scientist that could probably pilot somebody in there, Hank McCoy. Beast. Oh uh, my god. <laughs> it could be I mean it could be Beast. It really could be. Um do I think that's the case? No, I think it's Reed Richards. It, it makes more sense to be Reed Richards at this point, but the MCU, Kevin Feige has done plenty of stuff that didn't exactly make sense that blew our minds later. And it wouldn't shock me if we saw Hank McCoy show up. And it might be yeah, realistically, it might be the human form, Hank McCoy, Kelsey Grammer. And I would love. Okay, I would love it if it was Kelsey Grammer. Guys, like, I, I Frazier's here. He's gonna get us in the hex. 
Let's <laughs> toss salad and scrambled eggs. <laughs> you know what, though? But, uh, but no, you could just as easily have human form Hank McCoy that, you know, helps Monica get into the hex, and he ends up in the hex, too, and he ends up in the hex as a blue cat. <laughs> <laughs> or like a blue gorilla at the circus, because everybody's turned into circus performers, by the way. Exactly. Everybody that's working for Sword is turning into circus performers. This is where carnies come from. This is a little known, uh, little known fact. <laughs> My God. I, the piggy, Carney to folk. piggyback, <laughs> exactly. Think of the <laughs> to, to piggyback off what Eric just said, um, you know, this thought occurred to me today. Uh, people, we we know Monica came in and came out. Her teenage changing. We know that people come in and they change who they are. You know, this might be a stretch here, but. We talked about this reverse house of M situation. What if the hex just keeps growing to the point where it encompasses a large enough area that it inadvertently creates mutants that way, or the, you know that we can you can point to it as oh that's the origin of mutants that it changed people's DNA on a structural level, um, and that the hex by the end of the season encompasses the entire North American continent. I don't know. I was thinking. Um... If we're going to talk about it, it might not be Wanda who creates the mutants. I was uh, doing a little little research on some theories earlier today, and one of them was, it happens to be what Rocket Raccoon says um, in Endgame, that, you know, Earth is ground zero for this, like, cosmic radiation stuff now from the snap, right? Earth is a home to three snaps. You get Thanos' first snap. Then you get uh, Hulk's snap, and then Tony's snap, right? That's those three massive universe-changing energy bursts that happen right on Earth. And that level of power goes somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you can't not be affected by that if you're right in the center three times. Uh, So the theory on that... Well, that's how they located Thanos in Endgame, too. Right. was the snaps. So the theory on that is that that latent energy that's hanging out is what gives you the mutants. Like mutants are not born from parents who originally in the comic books, parents were exposed to radiation. They had kids and then boom, the kids were mutants. Uh, now they have powers instead of third eyes and like a leg sticking out of their head or something. Um, but that that's a theory on where they come from. I'm more interested in this what is what happens when the hex hits you kind of thing. Is Monica gonna be our first official mutant? Or could it could they just, you know, patiently wait and not even call anyone mutants? It's just you know, people who've been changed. Which I think that they could do. I think Feige himself could never say the word mutant and just give us these characters. Well, that would not surprise me at all. Yeah, I, I think Inhumans was a, you know, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Inhumans movie, um, I think that gives us some clues as to what Feige might be thinking of how he's going to handle this. Because that was essentially done when Marvel didn't have the rights to the X-Men. And it was kind of the stand-in for mutants. You know, the, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season 
2003 or something like that. It was essentially the X-Men mutants, you know, and they talked to, you know, obviously the Terrigen yes. Mist and all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I kind of can't help but look at that and say, they are going to maybe circle back to that idea because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was not popular enough. The Inhumans movie was definitely not popular enough that they could maybe kind of circle back to that and introduce mutants in a similar way. By the way, I can't believe something that introduced a live-action Lockjaw was not popular. Dude, <laughs> the Inhumans movie is the biggest. You know, that's we, we talk about Marvel missteps. That was the biggest, hands down, the biggest stumble that Marvel did was the Inhumans. It was the format. I don't think they were right for it. The TV movie, mm-hmm. if you will. It came in theaters, too. It was released in theaters in limited limited run, but it's technically a theatrical release. Yeah, well, it was technically you know, forgettable. You know what's funny? <laughs> what's funny is Steph and I were faithful Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. watchers for a long while. I mean, we watched that show for at least three, four seasons faithfully. You know, we, we trailed off at the end. But when the Inhumans movie came out, it absolutely zero interest in watching. I still haven't seen it. Mm. Like, I think there's it could be the greatest thing something about the, never seen something about the Inhumans just is inherently not interesting uh, to fans, and I say that because I look at uh, Marvel's push to make the Inhumans really popular uh, on the comic book side. I mean, they put mm-hmm. great creative talent behind it, made them get into a war with the X Men, uh, all sorts of stuff, and they just still like if it's not black bolt, people just don't care about the inhumans. It's, it's just true. Uh, you might get crystal, uh, doing some cool stuff with the fantastic four. Like at most they're fun, um, secondary characters for the fantastic four at best. It's like when the X-Men visit the Shi'ar, the fantastic four mm-hmm. can visit the inhumans. And that's about as much mileage as you're probably going to get out of them. Um, unless you're the scrolls and you're in secret invasion and you have black bolt strapped to a satellite, uh, with a muffle on his mouth pointing towards earth and saying, if you don't do this, well, we're just going to take the muzzle off and make him scream and destroy your planet. Uh, which by the way was, that was really cool. That was some nice work by Bendis on that one. Cause I thought that was an awesome idea, but the inhumans just for whatever reason, just aren't popular even with the push to create new Inhumans uh, and and grow the brand, if you will, across the Marvel Universe in comics, just for whatever reason, just does not work. Um, I tried. It's a sh- I tried to get it's on a sh- it, and I can't. I love the Inhumans. I, it's a shame. It's I, I think you're not wrong, but it's a shame. I actually really dug Inhumans. And I still think uh, Vin Diesel should have been Black Bolt. <laughs> I just think that would have been... <laughs> No, I disagree because Vin Diesel is better when he's heard, not seen, I guess, in a lot of these movies. Think Iron Giant. Think Groot. But he gets that one word. He gets that one word, like Groot. He gets, he gets, Black Bolt says, like, one thing. Mm -hmm. I am Groot. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Man, I just had a good eye. Oh, I do think that the inhuman should, like, characters should be popping up all over the MCU. I think they should have yeah. Karnak, mm. you know, the one who can see the flaw in all things. He should be the guy who's like, well, here's what's going on with this hex. Here's how you get in, right? Because right here by this tree, it's a weird, different, you know, you can see the wavelength change. 
this is your weak spot. You know, like something like that would be really cool. Uh, but that's just speculation, and I don't think we'll ever get to see that at this point. I I, I still think Strange showing up in WandaVision feels like a very natural fit. You know, we, we, we know WandaVision will tie into Doctor Strange 2 and Spider-Man 3, both of which are revolving around the multiverse. Kevin Feige's confirmed all this. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for Benedict Cumberbatch, somebody who shows up in the weirdest of places in small little roles. Um, I was just telling Brandon earlier, I just watched 1917 for the first time. And he just has this very like five-minute cameo at the end of the film. That's just kind of Benedict's <laughs> thing. I wouldn't shock me if we saw Stephen Strange at the end of this. You know, it's interesting to me because Paul Bettany posted on social media, got to work with an incredible actor I've wanted to work with for a long time. And I was thinking about that. Are there any scenes in any of the Avengers films where Doctor Strange is by vision? Mm. No. I don't think so. No. So I wonder if it's possible that it is Doctor Strange who shows up in WandaVision. And to you know Steven's point, I almost think it's necessary. Because we talked about this last episode. What does Doctor Strange tell people his profession is? He's the protector of reality. Right. Right? What's Wanda doing? She's <laughs> effing with <laughs> reality. She's warping reality. And that is something that he cannot ignore. Like, he'll have to go deal with that, right? Mm-hmm. That's uh, to, tie that back, to tie that back, we were talking about is, you know, we were talking about Pietro being the antithesis of the hex, try, you know, trying to break it. Did Strange send him? It's possible, mm-hmm. although he does not look a bit like Wong. Uh, so I'm inclined to say no. <laughs> but I'm sure it's possible. Or, you know, that's like, a good point. You know, Strange casts spells, but Strange can cast the wrong spell. So maybe he casts like you look like Pietro, but he picks the wrong Pietro. It's like, sorry, I was watching these really terrible films on a flight back, and uh, I thought that was the guy. Maybe sorry, all the reality. Phoenix, and this dude broke his leg, so I felt sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Strange saw all the realities in Infinity War, and one of those was the 20th Century Fox X Men realities. It's quite possible there were quite a few, a couple exactly. million, right? Yeah, I can't remember what the exact number was. It was 14, 14 million and five. Yeah, right. something very specific, but something I, I <laughs> don't have the time to look up. Somewhere, uh, someone who listens to the show is screaming it right now. I know, yeah. Please don't crash the car. Hey, we'll have a suite for us by the end of the night. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but anyway, either way, this is all really exciting stuff. I'm eager to see what Darcy turns into. Now that she's inside the hex, since the hex has expanded to really include a whole lot of stuff, um, I'm interested to see what shows next. Are we going to see Wanda as, I mean, Modern Family? Like, is that the show? That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I think that would be great because how much fun would it be to have. Vision just talking right into the camera. Like, I honestly have no idea what's going on here most of the time. Very, <laughs> very Phil Dunphy 
just being honest with the camera. Um, or or uh, Evan Peters was on The Office. Briefly. Oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. It would be fun because Vision <laughs> always goes to work, right? Yeah, you're right. It's, yeah, what if Evan Peters shows up as the intern? He, at the, uh... he could straight up pull a, like a into-the-camera office style. <laughs> oh, my God. What if Jim shows up in the office? <laughs> oh, God. That would blow some minds, right? Everybody would be like, I yeah. knew it. I knew it. John Krasinski I, uh, is Reed Richards. No, he's just on the office in WandaVision. It's incredible. That would be such a... That'd be a psych out. I, uh, before I forget, I do want to talk, you know, we're talking about the details in, in WandaVision. Did you guys notice at the very beginning of, um, of WandaVision? This is, this is last week's episode. I saw this online today. The 80s episode. Uh, you know, they have that montage at the beginning. It's very growing pains. Oh, yeah. Uh, they have Vision sitting there and they're having a picnic. And they're eating food. And Vision takes a sandwich and throws it over his shoulder. Because when nobody's looking, because Vision doesn't eat. Yeah, <laughs> totally miss that. I, I feel like this is going to be one of those shows where I think we we're talking. You get to the end, it's going to be like I can't wait to go back and rewatch everything for just the little details that they peppered through this entire series. What was the, uh, yeah? It's definitely. What was the name of the '80s sitcom that Michael J. Fox starred in? Family Ties. Yeah, that was the vibe I got. Real hardcore Michael from that opening. Kiki. Michael Peaky. Yeah. That's right. And Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio later was on that show as a little kid. Oh, that was. Yeah. Or, or Growing Pains. Leo was on Growing Pains. Oh, that's right. Leo was on Growing Pains yeah. with Kirk Cameron. Like it was a, it was a I blend of those two that I felt. Mm-hmm. And I just could not come up with it. And of course, my wife was like, what are you talking about? It's like, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Alf. It was Alf, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Small wonder. Small wonder. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, you remember? I do. Small wonder would be great because then you could have a little android girl talk to Vision. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Or, or out of this world. Remember that one uh, oh, where she could yeah. freeze. Her, her dad was Burt Reynolds. Her dad was in an alien. He was an alien who got her mom pregnant. She's half alien, and her dad lived in a crystal cube. And she could freeze time by putting her fingers together. It's very kind of one division like that. She kind of had these. A lot of that. I mean, you've got a cosmic cube. You've got an alien dad. So you got Peter Quill there. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of similar plot points involved uh, from Out of This World in the MCU. I'm just glad we got to talk about Out of This World because that is a uh, 80s sitcom that gets completely overlooked. So, like um, every other 80s sitcom, yeah. Man, yeah, it's ahead of its time. <laughs> Times are hard, buddy. It was a long time ago now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Forty years ago. <laughs> anyway, and God, ow, that hurts. Anyway, yeah, right. Um, uh-huh. What? Where were we gonna go next? Says the youngest guy. That's right. That's right. You guys are dirt. I'm mud still. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> you don't hear the blue flag yet, so I'm gonna be good. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We're trying to keep it clean. Keep it clean. Um. I was trying to think. There were a couple of other things that I thought were worth pointing out in the episode. One of them is that Sword is much more, as far as tracking goes, Sword was much more interested in tracking Vision than they were Wanda. And I don't know if that's because it's easier to do, uh, to follow the decay signature of Vibranium, or if they just have a much more vested interest in Vision 
and that's why they had his body anyway. I was trying to figure out if I could kind of come up and see with a reason why I thought that would be. Did did you guys have anything besides what's already kind of implied in the show? I think it's it's interesting. I think you know. I think we discussed this, but um, Sword was moving away from space man missions to AI and weapons and you know all these things that vision encompasses and robotics um i think they have much more interest in vision because it's something that they can hopefully replicate and weaponize and and use um scarlet witches scary as hell and uncontrollable and i think that's you know that i mean you can't really replicate magic i think um i think vision is something that they were looking for for their own uh capitalistic needs you know, I agree. I, I yeah, I agree. I th- they keep mentioning uh, weapons. They keep mentioning using using him as a weapon and and things like that. And I think that's a large part of it. Uh, also, the tangibility of it. I mean, nobody really understands what Wanda is or who Wanda is uh, or what her powers really encompass or anything like that. You know, the only thing they're coming up with is cosmic rays, and like we talked about ten minutes ago, that could be from the snap just as easily as anything else. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's it's from a an ease of ease of use standpoint, and also from a hey, we can make a weapon out of this type of thing. Right. Yeah. I was really just trying to come up with something cool, and I couldn't. Uh, I was just wondering if you guys had thoughts on it. I was interested, though, in this latest commercial we we brought up earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steve, you mentioned it, and I just thought it was so interesting that the Yo Magic, right? It's like this claymation kind of cartoon of this kid stranded on this small desert island, and this claymation shark shows up, and he's like, hey, you hungry? Why don't you have a delicious Yo Magic? And um, it's starts like most of the commercials do in the series so far you know they always start out happy and then it just kind of like ends and you feel creepy about it and this one much more so because the kid can't get to some of your magic and ends up dying right like this this real quick process of him it's almost like um indiana jones when the guy drinks from the wrong cup yeah right yeah and it's kind of the same thing this this character just kind of like you know, he just dies away, withers away um, in claymation mode, which is really interesting because a lot of people like you, you instantly see that claymation kid and you just think of Billy, right? Because you've seen him dressed as Wiccan. He's in the same color scheme. He's got the the brown hair, but like the red shirt, the blue pants, like the same stuff this claymation character is wearing. And he can't get his hands on the magic, yo magic, and ends up dying. You wonder if that's like a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to the twins. Um, But I also saw this other fan theory that said each commercial is a representation of one of the Infinity Stones. uh, And the Infinity Stones aren't actually destroyed. They're still being wielded uh, by Wanda somehow. Because when you think about she's affecting people's Mm. minds, she's affecting time, she's changing reality. Um, The only stone left that she hasn't hit up uh, in the commercials is the, um, the soul stone was this most recent commercial. So it would be the, why is Oh, the space stone. So if the next commercials for Uber that moves you through space or something <laughs> like that, I think there might be uh, some credence to that theory, but so far I'm not sure. 
Um, or but, if the next episode takes a sci-fi vibe. That would be cool. Well, what sci-fi yeah. show is there, really, from the 2000s? That's Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. I, I think there were some Star Trek shows that were finishing in the 2000s. That would be interesting. Yeah, those would be the obvious ones. That would be really interesting. Uh, I don't know that they go that route, but it could be cool. But the commercial can go any route at once, right? Yeah, I saw two theories regarding that commercial. First off, it reminded me of Yoplait. I don't remember that yogurt from the 90s. Oh, yeah. Or I guess the yogurt, yogurt, whatever that kind of stuff. Um, Like Gogurt? Go yeah, or yeah, I don't know, man. I'm confusing them all. Um, Dude, we got gogurt in the fridge right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think you get it to the Greek, <laughs> the gogurt. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, uh, Where are I heard you? Two, <laughs> I heard two competing theories, which is, or two different theories. One is um, the shark uses language like, hey, little dude, and he's dressed in blue and silver. Which yeah. is the very colors, much the same Quicksilver, Pietro. Yes, and the, yeah. the same language that Chris, uh, that um, that um, Evan Peters, Evan Peters, thank you, is using. He's using a "Hey, little dude" when he's talking to the kids a lot. Furthermore, you know, he's talking to the kids and he's saying, "Hey, little dude," or the shark song to kid, "Hey, little dude," you know, you gotta get this magic. This magic lets you live. And instead, the kid holds on the magic, and the longer he holds on, the more it drains him of his life essence, and he dies. And there is the idea here is Wanda killing. Or is she killing the people inside the hex? Is the longer this goes, does this go on? Is it killing everyone slowly? Um, or back to our earlier conversation about the kids, and this potentially ending in tragedy, is what she building going to be the doom of her children? You know, is she going to be the architect of their demise? Um, but again, it kind of ties into this theory here that maybe Quicksilver is not, uh, maybe not all he's cracked up to be. Maybe there's something more insidious going on. I think it is worth pointing out that there's a shift in the show about what Wanda cares about. Uh, we highlighted it already, and it was, and initially, she cares the most about Vision. <clears throat> and now, especially with episode six, she's much more interested in making sure that the kids have a good experience than keeping tabs on vision. Uh, mm-hmm. So for her to really be focusing on these children for something to happen with them or, you know, for them themselves to be kind of insidious uh, would truly be devastating. It could be another catalyst for a real, real problem uh, considering how powerful Wanda seems to be. Well, that could also be the next episode, too, because if the kids get into the rebellious teenage phase and would draw a little bit from mom and, you know, as as kids get older, you you know, you know, as the kids get older, she could find herself gravitating more toward making sure the relationship with vision is still solid. Can that cause the kids to drift away and cause another issue entirely? in her her little simulation here well it's hard to to ignore the fact that once kids become teenagers they really enjoy being independent uh and seeing what those kids end up doing uh could be i mean it could be that could be what wanda and vision are shown in the trailers going to save you know in in the trailer for the next episode which drops friday 
they're holding hands again. You know, it's like them kind of reuniting for a purpose. And there's got to be something that would cause them to work together. And I think it's them saving the kids or at the very least coming to a, I don't want to say common ground because I don't think at any point Vision's going to be like, look, all these people are still trapped. You're doing awful (laughs) things to them. Uh, I love you. Yeah. But it's cool. (laughs) You know what? Last night was great. All's forgiven. All's forgiven. (laughs) Hex powers, man. Um, Hex powers. That was great hex last night, baby. I really appreciate that. Just, <laughs> everything else is water under the bridge. <laughs> um, but no, the, something has to bring them back together, and it could be you know trying to save the kids. Uh, obviously, if they leave the hex, you assume the same thing that happened to Vision would happen to them. Uh, so it could be them going to save the kids together. Uh, at this point, I don't know that it's past Wanda to use the kids to try and draw Vision back in, right? Um, but it's also, I don't know at this point, he might be far more concerned, uh, with all of the, uh, neighbors around him than he is those kids because vision's still machine. Uh, he makes logical decisions. And I think he even pointed out that his decisions are no longer logical right now in the past episode, which for him, he knows is a red flag. So I don't know. This is going to be really interesting to see how vision plays out in this series. I agree. I, I I wonder if we're even going to get Vision, like to your point earlier, is Vision going to walk out of the series alive? Or is this going to be he, he, Wanda's going to lose him again? You know, it's going to be interesting. Um, I don't know. I, it's going to be interesting to see where all this ends up. It really shakes out. I, I haven't been this interested and this excited in, a, in something that Marvel's been doing in a long time, because it just feels like there are so many question marks uh, hovering over everything right now. You know, and that's a really good point. Even at Infinity War, I didn't have these kind of questions. Like, I felt like I knew mm-hmm. what was going to happen. And, you know, ultimately, I was correct. It, it stuck to kind of the traditional source material. <laughs> With WandaVision, I mean, yeah, they have a couple of comic book series uh, together. But it's not, it's just not this, it's not like this. This is so different. That it's refreshing. It's awesome to have a show where I can sit and talk for an hour and 40 minutes now about what we think is going on. Uh, And every new episode doesn't give us as many answers as it does more exciting questions. You know, like I can spend time thinking about this show and be like, what does this mean? What does that mean? Ooh, you know, is that right? What do you guys think about this? Like, it's real exciting stuff. It's awesome to have really my fandom reignited by this show and just all the theory and all the time you can spend. That's half the fun being is each commercial telling us about a time stone is vision. The toaster from the first commercial, which my, my bets. Yes, that's vision. He's a toaster. <laughs> uh, like it's just, you know, it's, it's very interesting and every week just gets better, which is cool. Uh, and you know, again, to Marvel's credit, they're, making everything that you watched before still count, uh, but it's still a really good accessible point for new fans. Uh, and so I'm actually quite envious of them being able to work the properties like that. So this is very, very exciting stuff. 
Uh, I just saw something, I think, IG posted today that uh, WandaVision's the most watched show right now. Yes. And that yeah, just, I saw that. That just blows my mind. How is that possible? Um, so good for Disney Plus pumping out the WandaVisions, getting yeah, everybody on board, even with uh, three episodes that were kind of polarizing for a lot of people. It's like episode four hit, and everybody's like, guys, this this for real is a Marvel thing. Come on back. Come on back. Well, and I saw somebody read it um, blocked out the year, and it looks like Disney Plus will have a Marvel property every week for the rest of the year between Loki and uh, uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon and the Marvel What Ifs and all the various shows that they have going on now for do the rest get, of the year. Do we get Moon Knight this year? That's a good question. I don't know. God, I can't wait for that either. Man, I can't wait for that. Because I think um, I think watching WandaVision, I'm like, oh, I think I know how they bring in Mark Spector. Because right, you've got all these soldiers running around now, and Mark Spector's just a mercenary. Right, so he could easily yeah. have worked for Sword mm-hmm. and and run into some stuff that leads him to Kon, Kansu. God, I, I don't know that I'm saying that right. Um, but Moon Knight's a fantastic character. He actually oh, probably, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I can't believe that, actually. Oscar Isaac just got cast to be, um, what, Joel from The Last of Us? Yes. On HBO? Which is, yes. Yep. And that, yep. Or no, 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 no. No, not Oscar. That was. Um, oh, no, Oscar. no, no. Oh. Um, I'm Wonder sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal. Yes. Pedro Pascal. Yes. Yeah. yes. My bad. My bad. Uh, I Oscar think Oscar Isaac. Isaac was. I don't know if he's ever been confirmed or if it was fan the uh, Solid Snake um, for the that, Metal Gear. Movie. Yeah, that was it. I, I think he was tied to Metal Gear at some point. He could be. He is. He's, he is tied to it. He's still tied to it. I'm okay yeah. with that. That's it will star Oscar Isaac as Solid Snake, which is perfect, according to Deadline. That's got to be the Metal Gear Solid like PlayStation original. But it's got to be that storyline. But anyway, anyway, we could go on for that. That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other episode. Whole other <laughs> one. Don't get me started. Yeah. All right. So I will say this. Uh, final thoughts, WandaVision. Where are we going this week, guys? Oh, no. Exactly. That's the best part. <laughs> right. Right. I'd be happy. I would be, by the way, uh, Jedi John um, kind of pushed back on my theory that the Mind Stone was kind of empowering Wanda a little more uh, that we talked about last episode. Mm-hmm. And I uh, initially agreed with him because he said, if you followed the timeline at the end of Endgame, the stones were all put back in place so that they'd be destroyed by Thanos all of the stuff he had done would have been undone, right? So stones are still destroyed, but there's no negative snap effects. And I don't know that I really follow that logic. And I also don't think, especially if you watch Doctor Strange and the Ancient One talk about the stones, and well, Wong explains them, but also you hear the Ancient One tell Stephen Strange you know, energy is just energy. It can't be created or destroyed, just repurposed. I think destroying the stones doesn't destroy the actual power. It just threw it in different places. Repurposes it. Now my theory is 
because with wh- how well acquainted Wanda is with the Mind Stone, it's where she gets her powers to start with, right? And then she falls essentially in love with the Mind Stone that's always in the back of Vision's mind, right? It's there. She's growing closer to it. Maybe that's what attracts her to Vision in the first place. Because otherwise, who's attracted to a freaking android? You know? Um, you know Eric, you love Star Trek. Is Data hot? No. Like, Not really, no. Yeah, no. Nobody's interested in that. Um, like, I wonder if the Mind Stone has always been a draw for Wanda to Vision, right? Mm-hmm. And now that she was able to destroy the mind stone and then it's reformed, like how much more interested would the mind stone, which we know is kind of sentient, how much more interested would it be in Wanda now? So I wonder if that energy has come back to her or if she's in a way reformed the mind stone. I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, So thank you, Jedi John for giving me a whole new theory to work with. I mean, here's the thing is again I, I sound like a broken record here but i i think any theory is on the table at this point it's just you're so the that's show so true. that's it, very it's, true it's yeah it's unlike anything marvel's done at this point it's um it's expanding the horizons uh like marvel did with film they're doing this with tv i don't think i mean if you told me terrence howard shows back up as i as war machine i would say okay like I, I don't think anything is that out, outside of the realm of possibility anymore. That, that would be absolutely awesome. Oh, <laughs> she recast him. <laughs> Everything is possible until it's not. I mean, realistically, mm-hmm. I mean, anything could and will happen. You know, that's why we're we're sitting here. You know, thinking, oh, who's the astrophysicist? Well, you know, everything says it's Reed Richards, but you know, it could just as easily be somebody else. It could be somebody that we haven't even talked about yet. Um, but the fact is we don't know until that character shows up. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it would be super cool if it was blue Marvel. That would be like <laughs> unbelievably awesome. But that again is a whole nother episode. <laughs> All right, guys. So we know what to expect with WandaVision. Expect the unexpected. Uh, it'll be cool to see if some of these theories work out, uh, but that is going to do it for us and take us right into our Patreon shoutouts. Uh, earlier in the episode, we mentioned uh, being a Patreon member comes with perks, and if you are a producer level or higher, uh, you get your name mentioned on every episode. Uh, so this episode, we're going to shout out the OG Keith Jefferson. Uh, we also want to give a big shout out to uh, Rob Ryan whose name you know I love, and I won't go in depth on that, but I do love Rob Ryan. Um, But we also have um, our I Love You 3000 level uh, patrons, and they are at the highest level, which means they have that super sweet exclusive Black Galactic Dads hat that we were talking about earlier and a whole lot more. Uh, And that is TK31788 of the 501st is our first I Love You 3000 member. Uh, and then Special K jumped up right there with him. He was at the uh, producer level, and now he's at the I Love You 3000 level. And, of course, we love him 3000 for joining. And last but not least, we have Joe Peresident is our latest uh, I Love You 3000 level member. And, of course, without all of the wonderful support of our patrons, we could not do this show without them. 
Uh, and we definitely want to let them know that they have earned this applause. Thank you. Seriously, thank you. All right, and that is all the time that we have today. So we want to say as we finish these beers and say cheers, we thank you all for listening. Uh, Remember, like, rate, review, and share no matter where you're listening to us at, whatever platform it is. And again, of course, check out that patreon.com slash galactic dads for bonus episode exclusive only to Patreon subscribers and much more exciting content, uh, plus that sweet Galactic Dads merch. So till next episode, we want to thank you all for listening and keep on doing the dad thing.